morning, friends. So lovely to see you this morning, and uh, welcome to you online. Uh, if you're new here, so am I, and you might wonder, Brendan, when are you going to stop saying that? Well, when I get a home. <laughs> when we actually get a home, we are no longer new. Um, Quentin, Ardine, and the team. You guys just did brilliantly. Thank you. And guys, um, often in worship, uh, God gives us a word, and um, I want to give you an opportunity. It might be unfamiliar for you. It might be strange. Uh, but I want to give you an opportunity. If you have a testimony, something just that God has done this week that you want to share with us, or during worship, you just felt God give you something that you know is for us. I want to encourage you in one moment to come and grab the microphone and bring it. Here's what's going to happen is you might be nervous and saying, hey, listen, I'm not sure. Is it right? Is it wrong? It's okay. Just take a risk. And the reason why I'm saying take a risk is because you don't know that that word will encourage all of us. And so the word of God says that when we come together Someone's got a psalm, someone's got a testimony, someone's got a word. It's for the upliftment and the encouragement of all of us. And so if there's no one, I'm quite fine with that. But if there is someone, who knows? It could be a great blessing. And so I'm going to ask you to be super courageous and come to the front and bring something. There's only one rule. If you sing badly, you can't come and sing in the front here. Well then, uh, I think there will be. Uh... Hello, I'm Adin. Um, yeah, this week I was reading the story of Gideon in Judges, and I was just reminded how. So, yeah, Gideon was promised that he would overtake this army, and as he's gathering his army, um, men pitch up, and the Lord just tells him, listen, tell these guys, the guys that don't really want to be here, they can go home. So he says that, and um, a lot of men leave, and then there's about 10,000 men left, and again, the Lord tells him, bring them to the water, and then, um, yeah, test them, the guys that lap um, a certain way, or the guys that bend down, choose the other. And so only three me 300 men remain, um, and yet, yeah, these are the guys that will not go into battle. And I was just reminded that sometimes we feel like God is taking things away from us, or, um, yeah, he's given us this big promise, like, yes, you're going to overcome this army, you're going to fight, you're going to win. But then all of a sudden, God starts removing things in our lives, and we, we don't understand why. We're like, but Lord, you promised this. Why all of a sudden are things going the opposite? Instead of blessing, I feel like things are being taken away from me. 
But I was yeah, just reminded that in this passage, God says, I am making this army small because I want my glory to be known that when you do have um, the victory, that the victory is mine um, and that no one will um, think that it was because of all these men that pitched up, but because they knew that I was with you. I, the Lord, was with you and I gave you the victory. And so I just thought today, just to encourage if someone feels... Yeah, that maybe God has promised something or they're waiting for breakthrough or they're wanting some victory, but it doesn't look quite like what you think it's going to look like. It feels like God's doing the opposite. I just want to um, yeah, encourage you that he actually just wants the biggest glory. And so the weaker you, you are and the weaker you look, it's actually just going to give more glory to him. But your victory is coming. Um, he hasn't forgotten about that promise. So yeah, just hold on to that and God is going to come through and give you that victory. It's wonderful. So um, <clears throat> while we were worshiping this morning, I just felt the scripture laid on my heart. Um, it's Psalm 147, and I just want to highlight one or two verses. Verse, the second verse says, The Lord builds up Jerusalem. He gathers the outcast of Israel. He heals the brokenhearted, and he binds up their wounds. One thing is that um, <clears throat> I felt that you might be in one of these two things where you feel you are an outcast um, and you are brokenhearted. And I just want to say you're in good company this morning because God really cares for you and he calls you and you are not here by mistake. And if you've tuned in, it's not by mistake. God has got your number. And then um, to say that he's the one. Um, the Lord lifts up the humble, he casts the wicked to the ground. Sing to the Lord with thanksgiving, make melody to the God and on the lyre. He covers the heavens with clouds and prepares rain for the earth. He makes grass grow on the hills. He gives the beasts their food and the young ravens um, that cry. His delight is not in the strength of horse, nor his pleasure in the legs of man. This is, for me, the amazing part. But the Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him, in those who hope in his steadfast love. Praise the Lord, O Jerusalem. God is the one that's going to uplift you. God is the one that's got your number. If you're feeling brokenhearted this morning, if you're feeling like an outcast, it doesn't really matter with how much of that you come, but come with songs of praise and thanksgiving. Come with a humble heart. Come with a fear of the Lord. And He wants to uplift you, and He wants to restore you, and He wants to make you feel and known as part of a family, God's kingdom. That's wonderful. See anyone else? Got a testimony or word that they'd like to bring. Thank you, guys. That was two outstanding words. Well done. This morning, I would love to look at a story which reveals uh, the kindest man you've ever met. And I don't know... Uh, when last you received an, an act of kindness. Maybe you can think about that just in the last week. Um, when was the last time you received just an act of kindness that wasn't due to someone repaying you for what you did or it just was kindness out of nowhere? And maybe think of that. And then I want to bring into the picture the story of the kindest man you'll ever meet. And the story is found in John chapter 4. Verses 1 to 42, and you can read with me in your Bibles, and uh, you can uh, follow with me on the screen. I want to encourage a practice. It's just a suggestion, um, and that practice is, is taking notes 
or finding some way of taking the key that comes out of the text for you to outwork in the week to come. And the reason why I say that um, is we would, all, we would all respond and we all learn differently. For me, taking notes is probably one of the best ways, but it might not be for you. But if there isn't any intentional activity around the actual message, chances are you'll lose about 90% of what is said. And um, so on uh, this week, I was uh, at Rondebosch, and they had all the congregational elders, and they had a guy coming in to speak, and he just spoke brilliantly, and I just took notes on my phone. And I was just thinking about it. I think I could actually preach about 70% of what he said just because I was engaging with my ears and my eyes and then also just engaging there. And I just want to commend that activity or that process of finding some way for you to um, uh, take what God is saying um, and some, some steps of obedience that he's saying from the particular word. I hope that's helpful. John chapter 4, verses 1 to 42, it says... Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For the disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. And Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I give will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty again or have to come to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered, I have no husband. Jesus says, You're right in saying, I have no husband, for you've had five husbands and the one you now have is not your husband. What you've said is true. The woman said, Sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. And Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. 
we worship what we know. For salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to Him, I know that the Messiah's coming is called the Christ. When He comes, He will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am He. Just then, the disciples came back. They marveled that He was talking with the woman, but no one said, why, what do you seek, or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out to the t- town and were coming to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought him something to eat? Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say there are four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest, Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that the sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap for that which you do not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all I ever did. But when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there for two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, it's no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard of ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. It's a long text. It's a beautiful text. And um, we, I just want to take you through the journey of... Uh, the intention and the design of the Father and show you uh, how kindness is outworked. Uh, The ministry or the work of Jesus in a very simple way, how it's outworked. And um, then I want to show you the result of his ministry, what actually happens when Jesus does the will of his Father, how it impacts one life and a community's life. And then I want to... uh, have a look at sometimes why we struggle to actually do the ministry of Jesus. And finally, I want to point us to someone who can help us. Is that okay? For those of you who like outlines and know where we're going, I think it's pretty clear. <laughs> um, I want to ask you also to do something, is that sometimes when we read the story over and over again, we can get inoculated to the story. I know the story, I kind of know the, the, the few points. And what might be helpful is for you to actually put yourself in the story. The story is um, of a woman. Um, and uh, the Bible says she's been married five times. And uh, the person that she's living with is not her husband. 
want to ask you, how many of you know someone who has been divorced twice? Just put your hand up. Someone who's been divorced twice. Okay, there's a few of you. How many of you know people who've been divorced three times? Put your hand up. Let's move to three, four, five. How many of you know people who've been divorced four times? Put your hand up. No, no, no one. And so, if you walk with people who've been through divorce, even if it's the best divorce possible, this is what divorce is really saying. I've seen you, I've known you, I've loved you, and the very best is you're not good enough. That's why we separate, and you're not good enough for me. And uh, it doesn't matter how strong the person is, divorce is probably the most painful thing that a person can go through because it enters into the very essence of who you are. You're not good enough. This lady in the story had it happened to her five times. You're not good enough, you're not good enough, you're not good enough, you're not good enough, you're not good enough. And the sixth husband, sixth man didn't even want to marry her. I think chances are that this was a beautiful lady and that men just married her because she was beautiful. Scripture doesn't say that, but there is a possibility. There could even in those five divorces have been some form of abuse. But I'm telling you, this lady was a broken lady. You're not good enough, 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 ends up with a broken lady. This lady would have been ostracized by her community. The fact that she's coming in the heat of the day to draw waters because she lived with a sense of shame. And so the first character is about a, pretty much as a broken person you'll ever find. Yeah, we're starting to get a picture of what's going on here. And then the second person that we get introduced to is Jesus. And it says that Jesus had to go through to Samaria. But the truth is, no Jews went through Samaria because the Samaritans were hated by the Jews. They were hated by the Jews for many reasons. And I can send you the text as to why. But it was similar to the hatred that the Jews would have for the Palestinians today. or other groups that hate each other, the conflict between the Pakistan and India, that type of hatred that has been there for years. And so the Jews would walk around. It says that Jesus had to go through to Samaria. And so the second person that we start to see is a person who is intentional about reaching a group of people that no one else wants to reach. And so the word of God says, friends, that the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. This woman represents lostness. Lostness is much more than just not knowing Jesus. Lostness is the result of um, uh, brokenness, of, of, of the reality of life being not, not knowing God and not knowing the transformation power of God, this lady was truly lost. And Jesus is demonstrating to you and I, well, how do you do the ministry of Jesus? Well, you do it by intentionality. It's not just, oh, I just hope something happens. There's, he, had, he had to pass through. No, he didn't. He was being intentional. And he calls us to be intentional 
as well. And then uh, what I love about uh, the story is that it says Jesus was weary. He was tired, uh, walking in the heat of the day. Uh, those of you who have ever been hiking um, uh, know that it's tiring, particularly if there's ex- excessive heat and there's no water. It says Jesus was wearied. It's so helpful to know. It's because we get wearied in the realities of our days because really what I'm trying to do is two things. Number one is I want for you to receive the incredible kindness of Jesus, but number two, I want to equip you and me to do the ministry of Jesus in the realities of your life. You, the you, the your day-to-day work is the ministry of doing the ministry of Jesus. And um, weariness and tiredness and busyness is the reality of our lives, and so it was with Jesus. It says Jesus was wearied. And I want us to think about the tone that Jesus was speaking as he engages this woman. I wonder what tone it was. Um, I wonder what his disposition was. I wonder what the, just what his face looked like as he engaged this woman who was broken, who was ostracized, who was filled with shame. And we're going to see a beautiful encounter happening here. And, uh, and then the first thing that he does is he actually asks her for something. Please, may I have some water? And I think, uh, I think his tone was kind. Um, I don't think it was an ordering tone. I don't think it was a commanding tone. I think it was kind. And I think this lady is about to meet a man who will finally love her and appreciate her and value her, not for what she can bring to him, but because she's made an image of God. And ministry to Jesus starts for not what people can bring or what you can do, but because they're made in the image of God and because they are broken and they need to be made whole, not through us, but through Jesus. And Jesus gives us the incredible privilege of partnering with him. And this is just like a case study of, okay, just watch me because that's what it means to be a a Christian. It means to be an apprentice. It means to follow the ways of Jesus and give it a shot. In this week, you go, okay, I think I've kind of got what you've got, Jesus. I'm going to go for it. And if I fail, let me try again. Yeah? So he says, hey, may I have a drink? And really what he's doing, he's asking for help. And uh, when we ask for help, we give people an opportunity to serve us. But there are other ways that you can engage people. Um, obviously, if you're in the work context, you know them, and you know. But um, questions like, "Tell me about your children." Uh, questions like, "Where did you grow up?" Questions like, um, "If you see they're a foreigner, what country um, did you come from?" Uh, are there any family that you've left behind? There's just very easy questions that just begin a dialogue, and that's all he's doing is just saying, "Hey, may I have some water." And uh, she says, like, I'm not sure if I get this. I'm not sure if I can trust this guy. Is this another guy wanting to, just to use me? Because, like, she knows you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan and we, we you know, and I, they, you probably know why I'm here at 12 o'clock in the day when no other woman is here. I think she's, she's amazed that Jesus would engage her. And that's the beautiful 
ministry that we carry of just engaging with people for no reason but just wanting to show the kindness of God. And so I think there's a bit of a sense of, of amazement and wonder and possibly suspicion here. And uh, so, you know, she says like, well, how, how is it, you know, that you're engaging me? And uh, so he says, um, you know, I can, I, can, I can give you living water, water that, that, uh, that springs up to eternal life. And he's kind of saying to her, hey, listen, there's something much more important than water. And um, we all need water. You can survive for a couple of days without food, but you'd, water you need to, to sustain you. And he says, listen, there's something more important than just I mean, you can see I'm thirsty, I'm, I'm weary, and I know I need water, but I want to tell you something about living water. And he's using just everyday language to try and engage this lady on spiritual matters. Very simple words, and I think we need to learn just simple words on how to engage people with the reality of Jesus. So when I first came down here in January, um, people said, hey, friends, Durbanville is the most beautiful spot. You're absolutely going to love it. And uh, when I came here first day, I went for a cycle, and it was dry and hot. And I just thought, I don't know what you're talking about, because I don't see beauty. I just see dry soil and, um, uh, and no sea, and I love the sea. And I literally, my heart just sunk. I just thought, there isn't a beauty and I came back now, and it's beautiful. It's absolutely beautiful. It was just a little rain. It was just a little water. And none of the vines had leaves, and now they've got leaves. And as I go for a cycle yesterday, I just go like, oh, Lord, you're magnificent. And that's what Jesus is kind of saying. He's saying, hey, there's this living water. And, um, uh, you know, She's still completely stuck in, I need water, uh, I, you know, there's the, the, I need water, I need to get home for water for drinking and washing. And um, if you've been into uh, poor communities, very poor communities, the number one chore is getting water. It would be a 10 liter thing of going to get the water from the tap and then taking it back home and it's hard work and often they'd send the kids to carry the small little ones or sometimes they have a wheelbarrow but it's hard work and as you go more remote into parts of Africa, that thing can often be a couple of hours to go get water. And it's, a, it's, it's hard work and if you've lived in a home where there's no running water, you'll know it's very precious because you need water to drink, you need water to wash up, you need water to, to, to go to the bathroom. That 10 liters doesn't last very long. Water's very precious. So she's going, I think I found some guy, and I think she can save me the hassle of actually, you know, going and getting the water. How are you going to do that? You don't have a container. What's going on here? She's still kind of still thinking practically. And that's just like um, so many of us, we're just stuck in that, you know, the day-to-day. -day. We're not, we can't actually engage in spiritual matters. And um, uh, he says, well, go call your husband. Um, and 
I don't think that was in a rude way. I think it was in a, a kind way. Hey, just go get your husband. And uh, she says, I don't have a husband. He says, yeah, you don't have a husband. You've had five, and the guy that you're living with, you're not even married to him. Wow, imagine that. Imagine, imagine putting yourself in that conversation, and someone tells you it, uh, tells exactly what's happening in your life. And I want to say, friends, that Jesus is 100% human. He's 100% human, so we have to ask, well, how did he know? And he knows because he's partnering with the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit gave him a word. And sometimes when we engage with people, we can be asking the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, would you just speak to me? It very seldom happens to me that that, that, that that type of specific word has happened, but I have tried it a few times. I was sitting on the plane, and I was just engaging a guy who had fallen away from God, and um, I was just really sensing um, that I was able to minister to him, and I felt God drop the name of his mom uh, um, into my heart. And I thought, oh God, this he's going to be amazed. And so I said, oh, is your mom's name? And I told the name, and he said, no. <laughs> and he said, well, Brendan, why are you telling us that story? I'm just telling you because I tried. You know, I'm just, you just, you have a go. We're just human. We're just trying to partner with God. I'd much rather partner with God and fail than, uh, it wasn't in a weird way, although slightly maybe. <laughs> What's this guy doing? It's a supernatural encounter. It's gone from just a, a physical need, I'm weary and I need water, just little by little by little by little. And he does it in one moment. We sometimes might take years with people, just little by little, moving them into, into the reality of the power of God. And I think he did it in a beautiful way, not in a condemning way. And I think as he said that, I think this woman thought, ah, oh, I think I'm finding a man who can love me and treasure me and accept me and adore me for who I am. But she's still kind of, she's still kind of suspicious, so she pushes back and she says, you know, um, uh, you, know well, you guys worship there and we worship here. And so many times when we engage with people, they have objections to who God is. You know, how can God if he's good, allow such evil? Who says that your way is the only way to the Father? Who says that there's only one God? There are real legitimate objections to the Christian faith. This is what this woman is doing. You know, what's really important is you've got your mountain, I've got our mountain. And Jesus says, listen, you, you, don't, you don't understand. It isn't about where we worship. It's about a heart transformation that when our heart is transformed, we get to really have a relationship with God. And uh, then she says, hey, listen, you know, I, I, I believe in God. I believe he's coming back. This is a really funny moment if you were there. You've got to put yourself in the picture and go like, this is really funny. The creator of the universe has come down in flesh, is engaging with the lady who says, I think God's coming. And he goes, the, the one you're talking about, it's me. 
And um, I think I would love to have been in just, just there and, and known what it must have been like for this woman coming to the well, broken, completely broken, no hope. And she meets this man who's completely transforming her life in one moment. And you go, well, Brendan, how, how, how do you know? How do you know that this woman was transformed? Um, I think here are some clues. Number one, she left the jar of water behind. The very thing that she needed to come to get the water, she left. Some of these happened to her. I mean, you don't leave the most important thing behind. She's been completely bowled over by this man called Jesus. She's just thinking, and then another clue is she goes back and says, I've met the a guy who told me everything about who I am. And she must have done it with such conviction is that they believed. In other words, her testimony of this man was so amazing that they put their faith in that man. That wasn't just, oh, I met the man, he told me about war. It was like, wow, I want to tell you about a man. I think he's just transformed my life. And so, what is the mission of Jesus? What's the mission of Jesus? What's he actually doing and what's he wanting us to join? He's wanting us to join that his intention is to restore all men and all women back to their original design. What was their original design or our original design? It is that we were made to love and to worship God and to receive love and and acceptance and adoption by the Father, and that we will also, also his intention is to um, remake us. Brendan, what do you mean by that? Is that Jesus, when he says he comes to seek and save the lost, we go, well, what does it mean to save? It means that this person believed. In other words, they moved from unbelief to belief, that salvation. And that is true, but I want to say the definition of salvation is much bigger than that. Because this woman was broken and she started a journey towards wholeness. And that's the wonder of what Jesus does. It's much more beautiful than just being saved, being transferred from one kingdom into another. That's beautiful. But the, 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 the beauty of Jesus transforming our brokenness and my brokenness into something beautiful. Wow, that's salvation. Salvation is this word shalom, which means wholeness. It means peace in every aspect of our lives. And that's the beauty of salvation. That's, people are not projects to be saved. Tick, oh, that person got saved. No, they're people to be introduced to Jesus who will do a beautiful job in their lives, not only now, but for eternity. The living water that will bubble up to eternity. The living water that just as rain does something beautiful in Durbanville, how much more will God's rain do something beautiful in people's lives? Yeah? And so, imagine if you were in that story. Imagine if you were a bystander. Can you, can, can you imagine what it must have been like? Imagine if you knew that lady and knew her story, and now you start to see God writing a new story. He is the author and the perfecter of our faith. His, the way that he writes a story is much better than our story. Wow, what a moment. 
And then we get the disciples. That's me and you, by the way, <laughs> the followers of Jesus. And um, uh, they're a little bit confused. The word says marveled, um, maybe wondered, because they know Jesus shouldn't be speaking to a woman alone. He should not be speaking to a Samaritan, and he should definitely not be speaking to a woman who has been married five times and now is living with a man. Those three things, uh-uh, they don't say anything. And they say, hey, come and, and, and eat, because they were hungry and they went to go and get something to eat. And he says, I've got food, you know, to, that, that sustains me, that's got nothing to do with earthly food. In other words, my food is to obey the will of God. And so there's two pictures here. There's Jesus tired and weary, but still finding sustenance in the reality of life to minister kindness and love, and the disciples let sort out food, yeah? Where do you land? And it's a very helpful case study for you and I, because I think we're just like the disciples often. We're tired, we're weary, we've got our careers, we've got children, we've got bills, we've got family, and, and we need to sort ourselves out. And once we've sorted ourselves out, yeah, we, we'll do the ministry of Jesus. And Jesus is saying, hey, listen, let me tell you a story. It's, a, you know, you, the, the harvest, don't say the harvest is, is four months to, to, to come. In other words, okay, we can get to ministry at a later stage. When we're ready, we can do it. When we've got this sorted out or that sorted out, we'll do the ministry. He says, no, actually, look, the harvest is white to harvest. In other words, Open your eyes to the opportunity that exists every day. Don't wait till you're perfectly ready and the person's perfectly ready and he's perfect. No, I mean, just there's opportunities. And then he says, by the way, you don't know what's been going on in that person's life beforehand because there are other people who have worked with that. You just come and you reap where you didn't even sow. And I think he's very kindly rebuking the disciples. And he's saying, hey, guys, I just want to put you on mission again. This is, this is what it's about. It's actually about being open to what God is doing and, and stop seeking your own, you know, your, your own affairs first. And so this word speaks to me because we're trying to find a home and schools. And those are realities. It's not going to be fun to come to Durbanville with no home and no schools. And um, that produces anxiety and it produces a whole lot of energy. And I've just had to go back to the scripture. Seek first the kingdom of God and all else will be added to you. In other words, Brendan, get on the job with the job what I've called you to do and I'll sort those things out. But I keep wanting to sort these things out and, and forget about this. Yeah. So I asked you to put yourself in the story. Maybe you are like Jesus. You, you're just in a season of your life where you're just finding the grace of God to minister to people just naturally. So beautiful. Maybe you're like the woman who you feel ostracized, you feel broken, and you feel hopeless. Maybe you're like the disciples. Your life is just consumed with you and your realities. And I want us to um, um, to 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 land in the hero of the story, and his name is Jesus. And in order for us 
to do the ministry of Jesus, which is to show kindness, we need to first receive the ministry of Jesus. You cannot give what you don't have. And so ministry is always about first receiving and then giving. And so it's that actual, once again, wonder that we come to. So sometimes I'm like a disciple, sometimes I like Jesus. But I also want to say, I'm just like that woman. Uh, And the truth is, we all are. And the great recognition of our Christian faith is recognizing that we too are hopeless and broken and need the kindest man to come and intervene and reconcile us back to the Father, but not only reconcile us back to the Father, but begin to change that brokenness and turn that brokenness into something beautiful. And when we actually cry out and say, hey, Lord, there are areas in my life that are broken and I need your help, we begin to receive the ministry of Jesus or the ministry of the Father or the ministry of the Spirit. And from that place of brokenness, we're able to give because God has done something within us first. Can you see, friends, you have to receive before you can give. It's not just a case study, okay, I've got five points, I can go and do it. The kindest man you've ever met. But I want to say kindness has a cost. Yesterday, a friend gave me a jacket very kindly. I don't know. They just left it from him. It was actually his jacket. Just took it off, gave it to me. That's kind, yeah? Kindness has a cost because now he has no jacket. <laughs> I just want to talk to you about the kindness. Kind, the kindness of Jesus is not just, oh, he's so kind, it's so lovely. It had a cost. This is the cost. The cost is firstly, Jesus would have lost pretty much all his credibility with that engagement. To engage a woman, he would have lost credibility. To engage a Samaritan, he would have lost credibility. To engage a lady like that in terms of sexually promiscuous, she we would have lost his credibility. In that single act, in the community, he would have lost credibility. And so kindness has a cost. The ministry of Jesus is going to cost you. It's not, oh, they're so lovely. No, it's going to cost you because you will lose credibility, and the biggest problem is that we sometimes love our credibility more than, uh, than what we love the opinion of Jesus. In other words, we value what people think of us more than what we value what God thinks of us. And these are sometimes realities in our work. We don't want to lose credibility. These are, these are real realities um, that, that impact our lives. And so Jesus, his kindness had a cost. And then finally, his kindness had a cost on the cross. He was humiliated and he was shamed, and the, the, that which the, the, the sin of that lady, the, the, that lady's mess of, a, of her life, both the things that she did and, did and was done to her, was placed upon Christ, naked, humiliated, crushed, beaten, so that she could be reconciled to the Father. I said to you, He's the kindest man you'll ever know. And I think this case study demonstrates it. Why don't you stand for a moment? Um, Tracy, are you okay if I pray for the people? Is that okay?
this text uh, is, uh, I, I think, yields two responses. Uh, the first response is to actually say, yeah, Brendan, I'm, I'm, that, I'm that person, I'm broken, and boy, do I need Jesus. Uh, I might need to actually receive that living water for the first time I might need to believe, or I just actually might need to receive the healing touch of Jesus. Um, perhaps you might need this morning a fresh understanding of the kindness displayed to you, the kindness of Jesus to you, that you get to be called a son or a daughter. Perhaps you might need a fresh revelation is that Jesus loves you, he adores you, he accepts you based on the story. And you've just, you don't feel it, but this morning there's a sense of him doing that in your heart. And then for all of us, I think this text is a commissioning text. It says that as the Father sent me into the world, so he sends you. I want to say if you're a believer of Christ, if you're a follower of Christ, this is a very strong commissioning. It's not just nice words, sweet. No, it's a commissioning word. Not in your own ability, but his. And this is the commission to do the same ministry that you see him doing in your day-to-day life. And if you are like me, you have to say, hey, Brent, that's a little bit too hard for me. I need help. What a great place for us to pray. Shall we pray, guys? Father, wow, thank you so much. We we just met the kindest man we'll ever meet, Jesus, and we'll never come to the end of that kindness. And I pray we would all need to receive that kindness in different ways uh, this morning. And I pray that you would minister to us through the power of your Holy Spirit. I pray, Lord, that we would, all of us today, just really experience that we are loved treasured, adored, accepted because of what you did on the cross. And I also pray, Lord, that there would come a desire to obey you this week and to live out your kindness, not in our strength, but in the strength of your Holy Spirit in the places that we work. I pray, Holy Spirit, for every single one of us, including those listening online, that there would come at least one opportunity where we recognize, hey God, I think this is an opportunity to show kindness. Would you help me? And so Father, we bless you for your word which strengthens and encourages. Amen.